Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another special episode. I, I call them all special, and you know what they are, uh, edition of the Trap Draw. Before we get into today's episode, I want to quickly thank our sponsor, Herbal Active CBD. Herbal Active, U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V. They have a discount code, TRAPDRAW20. We'll get you 20% off uh, your purchase at herbalactive.com, trap draw 20. And uh, I got a couple of buds here that I would I would love to ask. DJ, how's how's your experience going? It's been great. Uh, you know, I've, I've said this repeatedly, but I'm, a, I'm now fully a twice daily user. Once in the morning, a couple drops in the coffee. Once before bed, uh, make sure to, to kind of mellow out, make sure we're in for a good night's sleep. And uh, no aches and pains when you wake up. And it's been, uh, listen... Is it placebo effect? Maybe. And if it is, it's the best placebo effect I've ever had in my life. It's a, it's a, it's a good feeling uh, all throughout the day. Neil, you literally just took some drops <laughs> as DJ was talking. Talk to me about uh, what are you up to? Uh, I love the stuff. It's usually five drops in my coffee. Uh, actually, uh, forgot. We're just moving so fast this morning. Forgot to... Uh, level myself out and it's good for when you're making your own coffee as as most of america is right now it it also makes you feel kind of like bryson the scientist you know you're 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 kind of dosing it a little bit when else do you get to use the eyedropper exactly yeah and uh yeah i just uh i find this stuff kind of levels me out you know instead of getting manic on coffee it kind of puts me right in the sweet spot right in the pocket so these are anxious times we're living in i'd highly recommend it and they just came out with gum they sent me some uh some new gum, which reminds me of the uh, stuff you used to get at Sports Authority, the quench gum. Sure. Yeah. It's a, just a no free ads. Which just hits you hard with the flavor early. Um, so, yeah, ch- check them out. Small shop, just like us. Herbalactive.com, U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V, and use the promo code TRAPDRAW20. Now on to today's episode. Thank you very much, Mr. Jeezy. Neil, I made sure to thank him right from the top. That is what I like to see. I'm back here. Uh, this is uh, an addendum to our perfect club, King of Kong. I'm also DJ is here. Hello. Greetings. Hello. Guys, um, what what we just had was, I think, affirming. It was special. Uh, DJ, talk to me. How, how did it come about, and what are the people in for? So, you know, we've heard a lot of talk about fluid situations uh, throughout the last you know, the last couple of weeks in our, in our country, in our world. Uh, and on a very, a much smaller level, there's a, been a big fluid situation going on with the trap draw since last night. Uh, we're getting ready to tape our King of Kong episode that, that hopefully you already listened to before this one, uh, a big debrief on the whole, the whole documentary. And I tweeted something, you know, Hey, we're, we're recording this tonight. If you know, everybody go watch it and we'll, you know, you'll be richer for the experience. Uh, someone, Sean Cato, uh, he's a, a good player in his own right, golfer at uh, Oregon State, comes into my replies, very low-key, just said, oh, hey, I can't wait to watch this, especially since Steve Wiebe was my uh, high school golf coach, which made me, which made my entire <laughs> just cortex explode <laughs> out the back of my head. Uh, I DM'd him immediately. I said, is this, like, is this real? Are you joking? And he sent me a photo, a big selfie of them as the state champions with our guy, our hero, Steve Wiebe, uh, standing right in the back. So I'm going back and forth with Sean, kind of just asking like, oh, that's crazy. You know, how was he as a as a golf coach? Blah, blah, blah. He's giving me, you know, telling me he's this great guy. He said, oh, by the way, here, I'll just reach out to him real quick, see if he wants to, if, you know, he wants to come on the podcast. And this is as we're getting ready to, I haven't even told you guys yet. This is as we're getting ready to record. Tensions are running very high. And uh, Sean comes through, said, hey, man, here's his phone number. Reach out. He's ready for you. Just, you know, love to talk to you guys. So we just, you know, flash forward. We didn't. We were almost too nervous to even jump on the phone right at that time. So we said, Steve, how about tomorrow morning? 
Uh, let's everybody have your cup of coffee and, uh, let's, let's everybody level out and we'll, we'll come with correct with a, a good list of questions. And I think we did that this morning. And, and I think, well, part one also helped for me at least organize my thoughts. Right. So I, I came into our conversation with Steve ready to, you know, with three or four things like, God, I gotta know, I gotta know. And, and, uh, I think he delivered. Yeah. He, um, just as nice as I think he comes through in the movie, uh, was so gracious with his time. Is you know, obviously still up in Washington. Is a teacher, and he's coaching golf. And he's coaching golf. Yeah, I, I do want to say before I lose the train of thought, if Sean Cato, if his friends aren't calling him the Cato Institute, <laughs> then I'm not even sure if they're really friends. So, uh, um, but yeah, big big thanks to Sean. What um. Did, what most surprised? Did anything surprise you talking to him? The stuff about uh, post documentary, yeah, definitely. definitely surprised me. So I, I think that was really yeah, look, interesting. Look out for that. I think he confirmed a lot of what what we had to say on the previous episode, which always feels good. It would have been a little humbling if he would have come in and said, "No, you guys are totally wrong about that." And pre documentary, how yeah. how this documentary came about was was also yeah. So uh, it's a bit mind blowing. Tremendous stuff. If you love the documentary then basically all we needed to do was to kind of turn on the microphones and, and get out of the way. So hopefully we did that enough, but without sounding like a massive kind of cheese dick here, it's like golf, man, you know? Yeah, exactly. Is there any, we say that about strapped all the time, but golf takes you to all these people and places that you would have no business ever interacting with. And, uh, it did it again here. So shout out to golf. Roll the tape, Randy. Yeah. Let's get right to it. Here's our, uh, our conversation with Steve, uh, Weeby. Steve Weeb. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a, Exceedingly special edition of the Trap Draw podcast. This is DJ Pajowski joined by, of course, Randy, of course, Neil. Fellas, how are you? We're thrilled. Doing really well. Great. Yeah. And we are thrilled to be joined on the line from, uh, I believe, Redmond, Washington. Uh, the subject of the documentary we just spent hours and hours talking about, uh, Mr. Steve Weeb. Just kidding. I know it's Weeby. I know it's Weeby. Weeb. <laughs> well, I've changed it now. I actually call myself Weeb now. So you're right. Steve, how are you, man? Well, I'm doing well. We're just kind of hunkering down with all this craziness going on with school. Schools are closed, so just kind of hanging out at home. So that is uh, it probably leads into the first question, I think, which is, you know, when, when we left you in the documentary, which was what, 2006, 2007 was kind of 2007 where, was where yeah. things dropped off. So you were uh, happily teaching in, in Redmond, Washington. Is that, is that still the case or what are you, uh, what have you been up to for the last 13 years here? Yeah, I was at Finn Hill junior high for six years that right when the documentary was being filmed, I was uh, in junior high or now it's a middle school, but. Then I moved into the into Redmond High School, and I've been here for the last nine years. And I teach calculus and geometry and taught a lot of other math subjects. So I'm not teaching science anymore. It's all math right now. Is that is that a good uh, a good change or a bad change? You like it better? Um, I like it. Well, I like I miss physics is my one love from you know when I I took I was a me mechanical engineering degree at UW, so I, I love physics and that stuff and it would, I'd love to teach it. But the one drawback is when students miss your class, then you have to have makeup labs. So it's a lot more work oh, to make up physics and science labs. But so that's why math is a little simpler to, to teach. Well, the one thing that the complete kismet happenstance of how we got connected uh, is what I kind of want to talk about next, which is that one of your, you, you've gotten into coaching high school golf, which is a, a welcome development, I'm sure, for all the people listening to this supposed golf podcast. And uh, we actually got connected through someone from Twitter, a student who played on your team. So let me start with A, what what got you into coaching golf? Are you a lifelong golfer? Is it a new thing? And uh, how have you how have you found it? Um, yeah, I, I golfed in high school one year as a, as a freshman. And I, I was okay, and I... Um, but I always could never consistently play. Well, it's the one sport that I couldn't actually master. I'd think I'd leave one day thinking I had it figured out. Then the next day, all of a sudden something creeped into my swing and I'm like doing something differently and it's not working out. So it's like so frustrating that golf, I couldn't quite wrap my head around it, but you know, I played baseball and basketball and football and did well in those and golf was one that I just couldn't quite get, but I, I didn't play any after my freshman year in high school. I didn't play any uh, 
competitive. I just played with my friends and I've played all ever since I was like 12 years old. My dad would take me out and play with my friends through college. And, you know, even in my, you know, thirties and forties and 51 now. And I, I don't play as that much anymore and I don't pretend to be a good golfer. Um, <laughs> I, I just happened to be that there was an opening with the golf team. The head coach was can coach next year because he was taking on the athletic director position. And I thought, hey, man, it's like, I don't have to, these guys are so good now that any golfer that's, you know, really worth their weight and or whatever the phrase is, <laughs> um, has, their, has their own golf, their swing instructors. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go in there and start teaching them how to swing the golf club. So I thought, hey, I can motivate kids. I can make this fun engaging, you know, kind of rally the troops. And the first year we went out and we won the state championship, not because I, cause I took the lead, but because we had some solid golfers like Sean Cada, who, who you mentioned, there was another kid, Connor Golombeski went on to play at Cal. Yeah. And then we had another couple kids that didn't play. They could have probably played it in college, but not division one maybe, but so we won the state the first year and I was like, I'm already, I could have retired right then and said, Hey, <laughs> I'm done. But, um, then we came back the next year and, uh, we, we just kind of didn't play as well at, at state as we could have, but we won the, the, uh, the league championship and the districts, which qualifies you to state. But then when we got to state, we just didn't quite have it then. And then, and then last year we didn't quite do as well. And we we're hoping we get another chance to state to go to state today uh this year i mean in the spring and it's it would be in the end of may so we're hoping we can all get back to school and things will be normal but we don't know yet yeah fingers crossed yeah steve this is this is neil um your description of your golf career is eerily similar to my own in the fact that i played golf as a freshman in high school mainly to get a letter jacket so that I, did, I went to a private school. So I wear like a uniform. Did you? Did you letter as a freshman? I'm curious. I did not, but um, I was. I, there was a write up in the news in the in the school newspaper. One of the guys on the golf team was saying, "Up and comer Steve Levy shot like a 40 and a whatever on the front. You know, on the front nine. It was. I don't know. You don't know much about Washington golf courses, but there's this course called Tall Chief, which was a it's an adventure. Like the first nine holes is really flat, but you go in the back nine and all the whole, all the fairways are like at 30 degree angles. <laughs> the slope, it's just a crazy course. But, um, yeah, I didn't let her out, but, um, and then I don't know why I didn't play the next year. I must've just did something different. I didn't play football in the fall either. So I was kind of, I think I was just playing drums during the fall. That was kind of my, my, my sport. Well, it sounded well, like, my sounded like you were pitching about a 10,000 innings as well, <laughs> yeah. according to the documentary. But yeah, I was pitching. Yeah. That was, that was like in the summer we had, I'd play select team and, or American Legion. It wasn't a select. Right. And then I would, but it'd be over before fall. So I could have played golf. I, don't, I just don't realize why I didn't, I, I must've just felt that frustration. Like I can't break over this, bogey golf or whatever 40 can't break 40 that, so I don't know it's, why. it's yeah. getting more and more similar this is <laughs> this is messing with me i also we're sitting in our <laughs> podcast studio and my drum set is behind me so i also oh, right. i also play the drums so uh, you know this is this is hitting yeah. close to home this is neil yeah i wish okay. i wish your, your oh, yeah. solo on your on your son's set was uh probably the highlight of the uh, documentary <laughs> for me that was fun. Which while, while we're talking about it, you mentioned, uh, you know, your son has turned into quite a drummer. Yeah, he has. He, he was drumming when he was like five years old there in the, in the documentary. And he didn't play in until like eighth grade. He didn't, he was really, I thought he had the kind of natural ability is, um, that, but he's, he's, I totally influenced him with playing rush ever since he was three years old. Oh, man, <laughs> just played all rush music to him and he's he loves rush he's kind of like one of the few kids that's 19 that probably appreciates rush at, the, at this time well you can add another but person I'll, to that list i was <laughs> okay. i was in way too deep into rush in high school how, yeah how are your kids so he, did, did they ever watch the documentary yeah they watched it it's a little 
some of the scenes in the in the King of Kong are kind of a little sensitive with my son, but um, <laughs> we don't, we haven't sat down and actually watched it as a family. Um, but um, they were okay with it when it first came out. We were going to all the film festivals, and there was the Seattle Film Festival that we all went to as a family. But we haven't really sat down at home and seen it. But I, I, I thought I saw it the other day on TV. I was looking searching through the TV guy and I saw it on TV, some channel. I don't know which one it was, <laughs> but well, they're, yeah, they're, they're okay with it. Well, let's, let's start there. I mean, what we got a million questions about like actually substance of the documentary, but just starting with, yeah. with the release. I mean, what, what was it like to, to watch it for the first time? What was it like to, to see yourself back, to see all your, your friends and family back? I mean, t- take me, uh, take me to that moment. Yeah. It was, well, I got first time I watched it, I had a copy um, at my house before it was released. And I was just amazed at the, what the footage they had and how they collected it and made a story out of the whole thing. Cause I just saw my, my side of it and all the little pieces of, um, the interviews I did. But then I was always wondering like, how are you going to make this interesting? I'm not really that, that kind of guy. He goes, <laughs> uh, that's our job. And then Seth Gordon, who was a director, um, just, told the story and you know people will say it was like not truthful but you know they're trying to make it into a, like a Hollywood movie so they have to have some overemphasizing is what I would say they did um, but I, I remember watching with my wife and we were just blown away like wow this is the story is how they how they made this into some coherent thing was incredible and I didn't know about all the Billy Mitchell stuff that they had filmed on his end. <laughs> oh, really? And, and all that. Yeah. Well, that's and what, the first. Go ahead. That's what I was curious about watching it this this past time was how aware you guys were because you know obviously they're in the car with with Billy and talking you know sometimes on the phone when he's on the phone with someone else like it kind of seems like they're in three or four places at once. So I was I was always curious if kind of everybody was bought in and everybody knew what was what everybody else was doing or but it doesn't sound like that was the case. Yeah, I understand. What I understand is they had a, about four people that were filming. A couple people went to Florida, did the filming there. A couple kind of stayed in my area. And then I, I remember them telling me the the phone call calls that they had from Billy's house to Fun Spot. They didn't realize the people that were in Florida filming Billy on his end, and the people at Fun Spot had different footage of course. And then when they were weeding through all their footage, they ha- they were able to find the pieces of the phone call on both ends. And the, and they were, they couldn't believe they actually had it <laughs> all both together. So they yeah, they're just, they had to weed through a lot of footage. And I guess the original documentary was over two hours long. So it was, it was more stuff in there that they realized the, the average person couldn't really uh, digest because they're not into video games. So they had to kind of scale it down and, and they made it 88 minutes. So it went down from like two hours to 88 minutes. So I want to back up even before that. How did they, how did the filmmakers get in touch with you? Like where was the, what was the origin of this? Like they how did they approach you? Um, how, what's that story? Yeah. Well, um, there's, uh, Mike Thompson is in the movie. I don't know if you of course yes. picture him. Yeah, <laughs> big, big fans. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah. So he's actually a screenwriter, and he's written some movies that have been a couple of them have been made. I don't know if you've seen. Uh, there's a Kevin Costner movie called Dragonfly, which he we wrote the script for. It's from like year year 2002, so no it's way. pretty old. And then he had another one called Love Happens that had. Jennifer Aniston in it, and uh, can't remember the leading man's name, but it was like a love kind of well, love just, story. They just breezed it. breezed past that. Yeah. So they yeah. So they um. So so Mike Thompson has a has an eye for what good stories are, and he, I would tell him every once in a while, I'd be, "Hey, man, th- this happened," and whatever. And then when I told him when the guys came to my house, and I arrived, and I saw them in my garage playing my Donkey Kong and they were trying to figure out if my Donkey Kong was legit. He was like, Whoa, this is crazy. This has to be told. Cause he knew, um, yeah, he, he, his, uh, we both have a mutual friend named 
Carl Kester, it doesn't matter what his name is, but he um, uh, was really good friends with Ed Cunningham, who played on the Utah football team. He was the center uh, when we were going to college. And he was doing a documentary with Seth Gordon called New York Dolls. And they were just wrapping up that project. They were gotcha. in the final stages. So they were looking for another story to tell. So Mike says, hey, I'm going to tell Ed and Seth about this and maybe they'll come and follow the story. So I go, that's cool. Yeah. And I just met Ed one night in the Seattle bar scene and kind of talked to him. He was like, here's what I want you to do. It's like, make a little timeline. Tell me, you know, just kind of write down all the notes of what's happened. Cause a lot of stuff had happened before they were able to, to, to jump in with their cameras. So I did all that, sent it to him. And the first time they filmed was on my son's birthday. They came in and, um, that was the scene if you, where I'm drumming uh, in, on that right. little drum set, and, and he's hopping around on the hippity hop thing. That, <laughs> that was like the, the first time they had. That was his birthday. The, uh, there was a birthday party that we had gone to Chuck E. Cheese before then, and so that's the first time they 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 came in. So they weren't there for all the other stuff that when I sent in a bunch of scores that got rejected, and when they came to my house, that was all stuff that had to be kind of back told yeah okay that's exactly the kind of detail <laughs> i was looking for i'm just i'm kind of over here like oh man that answers a, a ton of questions um yeah one thing i wanted to i wanted to ask because it was one of the main questions i had and you you kind of danced up to it is you know how much was kind of juiced up in the edit i'm curious if there if you have any specific examples of something that you know in, in the hollywoodizing of this of this story things that were kind of trumped up or things that were uh edited it in maybe a, uh, a little bit magical of a way. Yeah. Um, well they kind of, I don't, I'm not as big a loser as I come across <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> oh <laughs> so man. That was kind of, <laughs> you know, I, I'd lost my job and stuff, but I still had, you know, had a family and I was like d doing okay. And then Billy's end, I, you know, they tried to make it look like, he, you know, that he was, you know, more uh, a villain than he, he is. Like when you meet him, he's a, a, he's a gentleman. He's not going to be coming up to you and like be rude to you. He'd be shaking your hand, saying hi. Here's some hot sauce. You know, he'd give you a hot sauce bottle. <laughs> How is the hot yeah, sauce? The hot sauce is it good? Yeah, the hot. It's okay. Yeah, he's. <laughs> I think uh, it's it's just kind of like their standard hot sauce. I didn't really have any overwhelming like feelings about it, but um, it's good. <laughs> Steve, so, you know, it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was, this is Randy. I did. Did you ever have an urge to punch uh, Brian Q? <laughs> I never did. I didn't, but I didn't know what he was doing until I saw the, the <laughs> documentary. I didn't, I didn't know he was like kind of being sneaky behind the scenes, <laughs> but it did make sense though. Once I um, saw the documentary, cause when I was playing at fun spot, um, I would, I'd play for a game and, he'd kind of be standing there and then he'd want to jump in. And I thought, why well, he's, you know, he's kind of taking some of my, I'm, I'm coming all the way over from Seattle. Right. And, and he lives right nearby there. And then he's trying to jump in and like take limit the number of opportunities I can play. So I thought maybe there's something weird there. And then, so then when I found out he was actually doing stuff, running around and kind of doing some stuff, uh, then I, it made all it made the sense well, it made all the sense to me. I think that's a good transition. I, I think there's a few, at least for me, a, a couple like specific moments where I have a, I, unanswered questions for me. And one of them is at Fun Spot when they when Brian brings the you know what looks like the golden tablets, the video <laughs> from from Billy that he sent up with uh, with, with his Doris. drug mule, yeah, Doris and. And, you know, he's Windexing the TV screen and, and everyone's sitting around and they're just like, oh, my God, this is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this. And then they just, you know, they're kind of like, eh, maybe there's, you know, maybe we can't count the score. And then Walter gets off the phone. And he's like, all right, we're entering it. It's official. The new world record. I'm basically screaming at the TV at this moment. Like, you know, wait a second. Like, did you did you I, I just wanted you to stand up and be like, wait a second. This is bullshit. And, and just like, you know, tell them that yeah. like this is absolutely, you know, this is bullshit, basically. And I'm curious, yeah. did you do that or did, did you know, did you like what, what happened there? Well, I wasn't even aware of them showing it um, until after I walked up and realized 
what they had done. Cause when they brought, I saw a TV coming around my area and then I, I thought they were going to actually like put it like up on my cabinet. So people that thought they were going to like feed my game into it. So people could see how I'm doing, <laughs> but I didn't realize they're actually using it to show vi- uh, Billy's game. <laughs> um, so I, what I was told later that they were going to put it like near me where it might be a distraction. So then they were told, I think this is what I remember correctly. They were told that I have to move it. So it's not, you know, going to start being an interference with my game. So they were away from where I was when I was playing. And I don't remember even going over there and asking about it until after in the documentary, I go up to Brian and he's like, this was one time only, you know, you know <laughs> he's telling me I can't see it. <laughs> so, and I didn't even know that. that they, yeah. yeah. And I didn't know that they had actually uh, submitted. I wasn't checking the internet there. I was, I didn't know what they were recording, which scores they were entering. So I didn't know that they actually had entered Billy's score in there uh, as the world record. So I wasn't aware of that. So then after the fact, were you, were you ever able to, to raise an objection? No, I didn't even know until I didn't even, until I saw the documentary, I wasn't, or maybe one of the editor staff might've told me afterwards when we were going home in the air, you know, going to the airport, they might've, they might've told me like, Hey, you know what they were, they were, they actually entered his score without, you know, reviewing it properly. And then they were, he might've told me some of that stuff afterwards. But during the time at Sunspot, I wasn't, um, really aware of the record that was being entered and, and, and they, sh- they caught me crying there. I was just kind of disappointed that that was like after the second day when I couldn't break, I was trying to get over a million. That was the goal to get a million there, but and I just didn't, didn't have it happen. So that's why I was kind of disappointed that I didn't, didn't get the record, but, um, but I wasn't aware like, like about all those little stuff going on. Did you ever uh, get to hang out at the cabin? Oh yeah, I was not invited. <laughs> so, so was it yeah. like Mean Girls? Was it just like clicky? They, 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 like you weren't a part of the group. They, they didn't want you around. I don't. Yeah, I was. I was hanging out. I had my own hotel room, and I wasn't really staying where they were staying. But, um, and I don't think they were would have invited me anyways. But. Yeah, I wasn't part of the cabin group. To, yeah. to be fair, Todd Rogers had a ladybug score going. And <laughs> yeah. they really, tensions were running yeah. high. It was going down at the cabin. I'm curious, though, of the, it almost feels like the the oligarchy here, the, the collective, uh, you know, of the characters in the movie. Who of these guys warmed up to you the quick, like, who did you feel like was on your team? Who was telling them they can't put the TV next to you to distract you? Like, does anybody have your back in this setting at, at uh, Fun Spot? Oh, um, I'm guessing just, Putting it near me might have been one of the like Seth or Ed, I, I think maybe, or maybe Walter. I think Walter had my back. Like I think he he felt I was a good guy. That you know initially, and then um, well, the guy I was running around with, Mark Alpiger, who they also didn't invite to the. If you remember the scene, we go to the restaurant, and um, Steve Sanders goes. You won't believe who yep. walked in. Steve Weeby and Mark Hoppiger. Yeah. <laughs> Uninvi- walked in uninvitedly. And so, so Mark kind of was, I don't think he was really in the, in the inner circle with, well, he was kind of an outcast too. Not that they disliked him, but he just didn't kind of fit in with the, the group, the inner circle either. So he kind of, I kind of hung out with him, but I don't know if he would have got my back with the TVs being set up too close, but I think that was more probably Seth or Ed, or, or maybe Walter might have said something. Mark was the uh, the Mappy foot champion, right? Yeah, Mappy, and he used that, the, the, the weightlifting glove to get right, yeah. avoid blisters, yeah. Of course. So I have one, <laughs> I got one more question that's that's burning for me. And the, yeah. we had a, um, when we were discussing as the three of us, what was the most existential moment? And for me, it was when you're in Hollywood, Florida, you're, you're on the you know back end of a four-day bender, you're clearly kind of you running on fumes. Game doesn't seem to be going that well. And finally, Billy Mitchell walks in with, with his wife, Evelyn, and you seem to get stuck. It's almost like the final showdown. And it's almost like you get stuck between, you know, do I stop and, and maybe not confront him, but talk to him? Or do I keep playing? And he kind of like lingers behind you. And, you know, you say like, hey, Billy, how are you? And then he just kind of like, <laughs> you know, kind of big times he walks yeah. over, kind of get in your head a little bit. Do you, one, was there a, 
was there ever a confrontation there that we don't see? And two, you know, do you think about like, sometimes I have moments in my life where I'm like, man, if I could do that over again, I would, you know, I'd say this and I, I would detonate this guy. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm curious if that's like, uh, if you see that and you're like, man, I wish that that had gone differently or, or, or anything like that. Yeah. I have no regrets with how things played out there. I remember when he first came in, I was, I had a good game going and it really had it. My adrenaline went up through the roof and I felt really hyped up to do to play well. Cause I wanted to, because I knew he'd probably stop by and see how I was playing. Right. And I had a good game going, and but um, and then when he left, I I, was, I didn't actually get a record then, of course. But um, and then, and well, what what I I did say, you know, in the movie I said, "Hey, Billy," and then he walked by, and and I and then I in an interview with Billy had on some in some article I read, he was saying, "Yeah, I stopped and talked to him and asked him." how his game's going. And he said he had a big conversation with me, which is a bold safe lie. I couldn't believe he would <laughs> say that. And it's just crazy how many things after, after the movie came out, he would say stuff that was like untrue. And yes, there's no way of proving it. He, he's going to say that they edited the, the movie that we were actually had a conversation, but we didn't, he just walked around. And then I never said anyone, he walked all the way around. He just left and kind of was a, that's how it ended. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't want to, I wasn't going to say anything nasty to him or anything. I was, I just, I thought him coming in was actually good for me because I, I felt that adrenaline boost that I thought it was going to continue playing well, but, but it didn't, didn't happen. So have you ever seen him play Donkey Kong? It like, I, I know the movie kind of cuts off in 2007. Um, but have mm-hmm. you guys ever subsequent to that or, you know, off camera we, um, after the movie, there's been this Kong off that we've gone to set, uh, for like, there's like four or five years that we were, I couldn't make the last couple. So I think they're on Kong off seven now or eight, but Richie Knuckles is, is the guy that's or, um, coordinated it. And so the first Kong off, I think, I can't remember what year, maybe 2012, it might've been 2000. Yeah. Around that time it was at Richie Knuckles place in New Jersey and we went and there was about 10 of us that played. Billy was one of them. And I, I saw him play a little then. He didn't, he didn't get the kill screen or anything. Hank Chen was there and I, I had, and when I played my game, I was leading. I got like 900 something thousand and I had to leave to get back to Redmond because it was like Sunday afternoon. I had to get home to get, go back to school. So I left being ahead and then Hank Chen actually beat my score and got won the first Kong off. So there's where I've seen him. And I've seen him the last few times I was there. And he seems like he, he always, he hadn't played, he didn't play very well the times that I saw him. And he let most, most of the time he was kind of be uh, taking the roles as the MC kind of, um, kind of getting on the microphone and, and kind of speaking to the crowds and stuff. So, Convenient. How but, convenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you can't tell, we're Team Steve in this uh, <laughs> in this <laughs> household. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I'm thinking. Also, you guys have any other any any burning questions from the documentary itself? Yeah. I, I guess the only one that I had would be kind of set set the context a little bit for how popular this this documentary was because it's it's very lo-fi it's very uh you know a a cult classic in kind of every sense of the word but you know even when we started talking about it i was shocked at how many people had seen it and i'm curious what life has been like post post documentary i mean how how often do you get recognized how often do people bring it up all that all that kind of stuff can i can i tack on it's along the same lines uh and if you could also speak to whether you would do it again, if you had the chance. Oh, would I do this whole thing over again? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would. It was a great experience. The, the one thing I'll, I'll get back to the original question in a second, but I remember when I was trying to get the record and I was being just rejected because they thought I was cheating. I was, I was like dead. I didn't have any recourse. And then when the documentary started filming, I, I thought, hey, this is going to be a chance to get my side of the story, or at least some unbiased part of the story in there, and, and it actually helped me get recognized. So that was that was one good thing about documentary. And 
also with the documentary, I was able to get some gigs like afterwards, like Seth Gordon went on to, um, he, for his first film was four Christmases with Vince Vaughn and Reese yeah. Witherspoon. And, and then I was, I, I got a, I guess Vince Vaughn was like, Hey, we I'd like to have Steve Weeby here. So as a kind of as a little cameo. So I was able to go there and I stayed in Hollywood for a month. I had to get a month paid unpaid. I wasn't paid <laughs> unpaid leave from school. Cause I didn't like that kind of dismiss me for, <laughs> for that. Um, so I stayed in Hollywood for a month and hung out. And, you know, I basically was hanging out in the, at lunch with like, um, Mary Steenburgen <laughs> and all, all the all these people that would be crazy I'd be even hanging out with um, it was so that was a blast did and you, then did um, you make the final cut of the movie I gotta go back and watch it yeah I have some scenes where I'm like I don't speak in that movie um, so I'm sleeping in one scene <laughs> uh, Kristen Chenoweth is my on screen wife so I'm kind of um, sleeping with my head against her or her knees or something on the <laughs> kind of a crazy thing. And then um, I was in some other little scenes where I'm kind of talking with people on the couches and the living rooms and stuff. So, Oh, I'm actually the one scene that they had me do was I was playing uh, donkey Kong on, on a Wii. And then Kristen said, brings my son to me. And I'm like kind of trying to play the video game at the same time as I'm holding the baby for a brief minute. So, that was kind of funny. All right. Well, um, go back and find that. Yeah. Go back. Yeah. So some of my students will like not even know that I'm have <laughs> done movies like this year, a girl comes out, comes back after break. I saw you in four Christmases. Like, <laughs> I go, yeah. so kind of crazy. And then a couple other movies, like um, I was in um, the beginning of horrible bosses. Of Jason Bateman. <laughs> really? Bye. Yeah, and I think they might have overdone my voice because I say, hey, better hurry, Nick, and it's like some deeper voice <laughs> that's not mine. So <laughs> there's that one, and then there was Pixels, um, and that, I, that actually the scene that was I was in with Josh Gad, he, was, he came into the lab, and I was a scientist, and he's playing around, and there's like a, a little um, hovercraft thing that he grabs the remote, and he starts playing with it and it shoots over towards some computer so a bank of computer um gadgets and it and there's this like starts sparks are flying blows up a bunch of components and i thought that was going to be make the film but didn't but i was actually in the credits still so i don't, I don't know maybe they must have felt bad that i was <laughs> i brought they brought me all the way to toronto or something um, I, I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen Pixels, but there was just in some some reading about this. I think that uh, wasn't the the Peter Dinklage character was like supposed to be based on Billy, wasn't that the case? Yeah, that was uh, that was supposed to be uh, based on Billy, and I met Peter. Um, so I, like, I, when I was on in the on set, you, there was like a break, and I went over to Peter's trailer, and I met him. I have a picture of me and him on. I think I posted on Facebook at some point. Yeah. So I met him and I, I played basketball with, uh, so me and Adam Sandler were, we played two on two with me and Adam played against these other two guys that his, um, his assistant who's been in a couple movies with him. I can't remember his name now, but, um, and then another guy that was like a, a guy on set, we played two on two and me and Adam were with team. It was pretty fun playing with, playing some basketball with Adam. Oh yeah. Those are Sandler. some, those are some, yeah. some serious opportunities then after, <laughs> after this thing. Yeah. So that was what happened afterwards. And then as far as people recognizing, uh, like there was a couple times, I think I was in San Francisco, uh, at, like not long after the movie came out and someone recognized me there. And I think in New York, I was there and someone saw me and recognized me in, in downtown Seattle a couple times, but it hasn't happened since, you know, a long, so it was only really right after when the movie had came out. Some, people have recognized me well, i can't i can't guarantee our, our humble podcast is going to breathe too much life back into the documentary but we'll fingers crossed for some more some more speaking engagements <laughs> or something like that yeah no problem yeah, yeah. <laughs> does your wife still refer to herself as the first lady of donkey kong <laughs> uh that's funny that's um 
I don't know. I, no, she doesn't necessarily say that anymore. <laughs> that's, that's a good quote, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so at the at the end of our discussion yesterday regarding the podcast, uh, Randy was going to ask DJ and I basically a where are they now? Uh, and and because we don't you know we don't really have any ideas other than the end credits, um, and we thought maybe that would be fun to do with you um, because you may have a little bit more knowledge of where some of the characters are. Well, let's, uh, I mean, let's start at the, at the top. Uh, you know, I think that, that where, where's Billy at, at, you know, at this stage, what, what's he been up to? I know there's kind of been a, a, a bit of controversy over the last maybe 10 years or so. I'm, I'm curious if you could speak to any of that. Oh yeah. So like a couple of years ago, if that, there was some, somebody was dissecting his gameplay and they noticed some artifacts that shouldn't be when the, when the screens load, like the barrel boards or some of the other screens load, the way MAME loads them looks different than the way the arcade loads them. So by just freeze framing millisecond frames and they were able to see that they believe he was using non-arcade equipment. So his records were thrown out by Guinness and by um, by um, Twin Galaxies. Would this be considered uh, glitch abuse? Yeah, uh, there, there was Mersac? glitch abuse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, flying erase heads. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's unreal. I mean, what so, was what was it like to see that? that was that validating or uh, disappointing, or it, what, what? What was the feeling? It, yeah, it was kind of bittersweet. It was like, hey, I, hey, I actually actually was better than him at the time, and. If, the, if this is all true. And then at the same time, it's like, Hey, he was kind of taking away some of the spotlight, which, you know, if, if without that though, the movie wouldn't have been made. So it's kind of like everything kind of happened and it made things work out. So yeah, that's true. I, I wasn't upset. Um, but it made me, at least I knew that I was the first to get a million score. The first to be recognized to get a million. So that was good. And then, um, but I didn't want to, I don't really want to wish, wish Billy, you know, horrible, horrible, um, thing. So I, I didn't want to go on any, uh, shows or anything and start bad mouthing them. So I had a couple interviews. I just said, Hey, I'm not going to dance on his grave, but it's good to have recognition. And, um, but I, and at the time though, I wasn't even me or Billy aren't even close to the world record anymore. There's a couple young some young bucks have taken over. So the game has changed. Like that. Yeah. The game has changed. Yeah, but Hey, I, I'm not going to probably be the world champion, but I'm happy that at least I had a, a moment in the sun and, and I was the first a million of something to say. Uh, the only thing I would add with uh, Billy Mitchell, he, well, he has kids. One of his sons uh, went on to play football at West Point. How about that? He's a kicker. Yeah. You know, at army. He was the kicker at army. Yeah. Wow, so he, was he in the bowl game that they won this year? I uh, imagine he might. Actually, I don't see him on the 2019 roster, so he may yeah. have he may have either just played football for a year or two or something. Well, that's cool. Who yeah. can say? Um, all right, let's uh, let's do. Um, have you kept in touch with Steve Sanders at all? Uh, just briefly, I think um, I might have said something when. The, he's a big Kansas City Chiefs fan, so there was something when they were in the playoffs. Whether it was last year, I didn't talk to him about the Super Bowl win this year, but I think I texted him. I have his number still somehow. Um, I think I might have gotten it like years ago when we're when or when we're at a Kong off. He's been at a couple Kong offs, um, so I've seen him there and I've texted him about his Kansas City Chiefs, how they've done pretty well over the last couple of years, and. As far as I know, is yeah, he's got like several. He has like I think four boys. Are they're all pretty grown up now? And it, I still believe he's doing his his lawyer. He still has his business, but um, he's not really into the video game scene too much. So, but I've seen him a couple times at Kong Off, and we're friendly. Yeah, he's he's always been good to me. The the one I definitely wanted to ask about was uh, Robert Murzak because there was a, a footnote in the credits that he had resigned as the head referee at, at Twin Galaxies after the the fun spot debacle. I'm curious if you could shed any light on what happened there. 
Yeah, I'm not. I don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes with why he resigned, but I, I don't think he was unhappy with the way the referee, like the decisions were being handled. And, and he, so he just left twin galaxies for that, for some reason with that. But, um, I have noticed a couple, like since the Billy Mitchell scandal thing came out, he's been on a couple, um, YouTube videos where he's kind of described things that were happening and it makes it sound that he wasn't too fond of Billy back in the day, but Billy might've been strong arming, strong arming him into making decisions with records and things. So I think that's what might've sent Robert away, but I'm, I don't quote me on everything. I think that's, there's more to it than just that. But, um, but there are some interviews from Robert lately about all this stuff that has happened. And you know, he's still kind of, has some good insight on the, in the, in the backstories of all these things. So, um, if you're ever bored and have time, you can go sit research Robert Merzek and he probably can shed more light on that for sure. Well, some of that light I'll shed right now. Uh, he, he started offering bounties for hard to achieve high scores during the late two thousands, early 2010s. He would pay the prize money out of his own pocket. Um, but the article I'm reading from, he, he also, he still shows up at gaming conventions like the one that fun spot, and you guys might be surprised, maybe not, to, to learn this. He continues to pursue his other interests, including collecting erotic artwork. <laughs> yeah, I, he has. I, if you've seen the documentary Chasing Ghosts, there's, they have more in, insight on those other guys like Todd Rogers is in Chasing Ghosts. And, and then they talk about Robert's collection of the pinup art. Yeah, so if you go to watch Chasing Ghosts, you'll see that well todd was another one that i had on my list because in in all the articles and stuff it, that you kind of read about uh with billy's um glitch abuse uh todd was kind of <laughs> todd was kind of lockstep lockstep with him it sounded like yeah there's like uh a lot of stuff that went on with his um he was he was called mr activision he had like several hundred records on activision and there was the one score that or the the um, drag dragster was his big claim to fame, where he had like a score that they said was couldn't be done. They have people analyze things, and there was a big debate on how his score was verified. I, I looked into it, and I couldn't quite tell who's telling the truth, so it's hard to really un understand that one. But then some other games that he admittedly said he entered his own scores, which you shouldn't be doing as a referee. Um, so they took down all his scores and he's kind of been blackballed from, from twin galaxies at least. And I don't know if he's doing any more video gaming, but I've, I've ran into him at some Kong offs too. He's always been pleasant to me, but, um, he was so a favorite I, of mine. I didn't, I, I yeah. you know, that's disappointing to hear that, that, <laughs> that, uh, the, the evolution yeah. of Todd, that's a, that's a bummer. I liked his yeah, vibe in the, in the uh, documentary. Yeah, I was kind of bummed too that he wasn't legit with his all scores. I, I looked up to him like you know, like hey man, you you don't play the the arcade games that I'm doing. He, I think he may have some arcade records, but he was more of the Atari console games. That was a cool niche he had. So yeah, it was kind of disappointing that they were all not all. Maybe some were real scores, but enough of them were fraudulent that they can't trust any of them anymore. But full, yeah, full kind of and he yeah. What's that again? Fool me once, you know? Yeah, yeah, fool me once for sure, yeah. But he does have like a bunch of tarantulas. He He's a big tarantula lover. Oh, and I had a pet tarantula when I was in college for a couple, common for a couple years. That's just, yeah. I, I love it. So uh, moving on, uh, very curious about uh, the movies, maybe the movie's biggest alpha, Mr. Awesome. Uh, oh, Mr. Awesome, yeah, boy. What a train wreck I have. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I have one. What What is he up to now uh, that you know of? Would, yeah, Steve? I was, I was going to say, would you like me to fill you in on a little bit of what he's been up to? Or Well, let me see if I know enough. And let okay. me know. I, it's kind of a sad story, actually. Uh, he, the last time I saw him, he had a walking, uh, whatever you call those things. He had a walker. And his knees are shot. I think he probably from whatever steroids he was doing to, for bodybuilding. So he can't walk very well. He's, I don't think he's happy with 
how things turned out with his missile command score. He, he's not calling me anymore. When he used to call me, he'd be trying to give me stuff like, Hey Billy, you know, he's trying to get kind of get his revenge on Billy with me. And, um, so he's not calling me every day about, you know, things. And then, um, that's the last time I, I think I heard from him was at a, one of the Kong offs he came and, um, they're always worried that he's going to come in there and become a, just become a distraction and, and screw everything up. But he never came in there and did that. But I saw him like probably four, maybe three or four years ago and still had his walker and kind of sad that how, how his physical condition has deteriorated. But, um, I don't hear from him much anymore. Is that what, what else do you have on him? Yeah, that, that, uh, I'm, that, that kind of covers it. I, I almost think yeah. what I have is some of the stuff before, you know, his his health deteriorated. I, I was just uh-huh. going to say, you know, he he appeared in Playgirl twice. Uh, he, he did? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> he was claiming that Madonna uh, is desperate for his sperm. That's mm. a quote from him. Yeah, just – but I, I think oh, – uh, <laughs> It, it's almost hard to laugh about because I, I think he has probably, you know, between the steroids and I, I, I think he's probably not in a great place. So I, I don't know if I'm. But on yeah. the other hand, based on his quote in the movie, he's kind of been in the eternal search for a little bit of recognition, you know, and in, in some yeah. ways that's maybe what this, maybe that podcast, this podcast represents that. But uh, yeah, we wish him all mm-hmm. the best. Yeah. I, th- I think the next big one is, is Brian. Uh, I, I never know how to pronounce his last name. Is it Q? Q. Yeah. Do you do you keep in? Yeah. Do, you, do you want to take a guess on on his what what he's been up to? And, and has he achieved a kill screen yet? Uh, I don't know if if he's achieved a kill screen yet, but um, I don't hear much from him except if I happen to research something with the Donkey Kong controversy, with especially with the latest thing on Billy. He was, I think trying to make make some videos or something to the he's always trying to dispute the king of kong which i don't blame him because he's he doesn't he's come across not, great yeah doesn't come across well he, he felt like he was wrong so he's kind of bitter and there's another guy called a name tim zerby which there's a you could probably write another movie on him now but he's he feels that he was shafted with you know how his record score wasn't acknowledged in the film that he had um so i think billy and or i mean brian and and zerby i think have maybe teamed up a little bit and there's another guy named Dwayne richard who's kind of got a vendetta against everybody it seems like especially me and he's made some documentaries uh that he's that are some some really low quality ones like that he's made on his own and maybe a little bit of help from others. One of them's called, um, the King, the King of fraud or something or something like that. <laughs> and maybe it's, and then the perfect uh, one was called the perfect fraud man. Cause the perfect pack band that Billy had claimed to there's controversy with that. If you want to ever read on that, you could go into that. And, and then, um, yeah, the other one was the King of something. I, I can't remember if it's King of fraud or, I can't remember. There's something with play on words with King of Kong. And so I believe Brian was involved with a little bit of some of the interviews on those to kind of lash out at, at me and Billy. They think that me and Billy were all conspiring on together, making this documentary to get rich. And they think, they think we all got rich over it. <laughs> it's just crazy. But anyways, that's the last thing I've seen with Q was some interviewer, um, he was the one that came to my house. Remember in the right, in sure. the documentary, and I remember. I remember I didn't hear any word of them coming over. And then in the in the some interview, he was saying, "Yeah, I talked to Steve uh, probably ten times. He kept on canceling the appointment, and you know, he basically was lying again. Just couldn't believe the lies coming out of his mouth. But that's the last time I've heard from him. But so I I, I believe he's still on a mission to take down anything Steve Weeby and. I don't know if he's still trying to get a record in Donkey Kong, but he, he might still be playing a little bit. Well, well, he did set a record in 2016. Um, 
as Walter Day helped confirm for him, he set a new world record of 112 hour work week at Half Moon Amusements, which <laughs> is the most hours worked in a week by an arcade attendant. Uh, the, wow. The article says it's not clear who, if anyone, held the record before him. <laughs> and, and, and one last point to make uh, Q decided to sell the. Um, his his paycheck from that historic work week he instead of cashing it for himself he put it up for bid on ebay and it says the auction ended without receiving a single bid so apparently oh there wasn't gosh. a large market uh for that piece of memorabilia but he it sounds like he is still pursuing all types of world tough, records tough look for the prodigy as the self <laughs> <The prodigy. laughs> wow yeah he's, he's trying to make a name for himself yeah hope he does well, man, I, I think this is uh, well, one last question. Yeah, do you still play Donkey Kong? Uh, not very often. If it's only reason I would do it is if I go to those Kong offs, I play maybe a week or maybe even a couple days before I go, just to kind of get my chops back. But I don't anticipate going out there to set any records. Mainly, is the record is so high right now that to get it. I'd probably have to play 12 hours a day for who knows how long. And I still might not get it. The record is intense. Like you can't even have a bad board. Like the, the, the point pressing is, is at a point where it's like you, if you have too many, one or two bad boards, you can't catch up in points. So how um, many, that's how, why I won't go back. How many boards are there before you get to the kill screen? Well, there's, Level 22 is the, the kill screen, but there's, I, I don't know, there's maybe in the hundreds of, I can't, I could calculate it real fast, maybe, but there's five boards a level for like, gotcha. um, okay. yeah, but you know, it's in the hundreds. Um, so it takes a couple, you know, if you're, if you're point pressing, um, it takes probably three and a half hour hours now because you have to group barrels and, if you know what the barrel board is, you have to stay on the board for a long time and basically jump barrels to get more points. Um, but before when I was playing, like you would, the games would last maybe two hours. Now it's uh, two and a half hours. Now, now it's like another hour's worth of time and just milking points. And then it's this milking points and it's just grinding. It's just like, and then you get, I mean, once I go in the garage and I ha if I set my mind to getting the record, I'm not going to come out. So I don't even want to go in the in there because I might become a prisoner. I don't want to do that again. So you still have you still have the uh, the Kong game in your garage? Yeah, I still have it, and I and I was actually approached by a guy that reached out from Google. He said, "Hey, why don't you stream?" Which would be something I might do maybe this summer when I have. But I could even do it now since there's. I mean, I'm, I should be working as a school teacher. We post stuff on. <laughs> On um, yeah, you were posting stuff for the kids to to do. So I've done all that. Um, so I take emails stuff, but um, I guess it wouldn't look good if I was <laughs> streaming Donkey Kong during the day. <laughs> but that's something I I might do in the summertime. So one one last question I had for you. Uh, another documentary has kind of come on my radar screen: Man versus Snake. Have you watched this? I haven't seen that. Probably should. That, that has Dwayne Richard in it. Yeah. So and, there was Billy's yeah. in it and a bunch of people. So it's kind of seems like the natural follow up. So I, I was going to see if you could give the people a recommendation to yeah. either watch or not watch. But if uh, I could, yeah, I don't, I don't have any opinions. on. I, I, I probably is good because it has some of those characters. If you watch King of Kong, you might like it because of the, uh, it has Billy and Dwayne Richard is one of the guys in King of Kong that, that had a brief kind of couple scenes in King of Kong. Another one that you might look into is I haven't even seen it yet. It's called The King of Arcades, okay. and it's about Rich Richie Knuckles is the guy that organized the King of Kongs, and it talks about his obsession with you know he he, he takes games and re, um, refurbishes them, and and he's he's basically all, like sacrificed his life and marriage over some of these arcade games that he takes care of and the Kong off, which he has to travel. He had to travel from New Jersey to Denver, you know, in these trucks hauling the arcade oh games. Gosh, and yeah. 
and I think it took a toll on his, his I don't know, his fan, his, his wife. They're not together anymore. But um, so he has a little daughter that's uh, probably in the movie. So I, I, I haven't seen it yet. I want to go. I want to see it. But um, so it's called the King of Arcades. All right. Well, we'll. Uh, there's yeah. a couple couple homework assignments for people. I guess before we let you go, how's your exactly. how's your golf game these days? Not too. This is non-existent. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a very fair weather fan. I'll, I'll play like it's got to be 80 degrees right on the nose. Perfect, you know, perfect conditions. Um, no, but I, I in the fall I play with the kids out on of the course. I'll I'll play and I'll I think I'm actually one of the guys that plays better. The mo- the least. If I don't play very often, I actually play better for some reason. It must have must be that I don't have any bad things happening in my swing. I mean, I'm not I have a great swing, but like the more I play, it seems like the more junk happens that <laughs> creeps into my swing, or I get tired and my swing breaks down. But I can shoot still about what I did like four nine. I get four. I can shoot a forty probably. Sure, you'd fit in yeah. well. You fit yeah. in well with us. You're, yes. Uh, am I what? You'd fit in well with us. We're we're right in the same. Oh yeah, line. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fun though. I, I'm, and also, I don't have a it's, golf is one of those things that I keep. It's to spend and not to justify spending money to go play with for to my wife. You know, when we were playing, paying for my boy to play college. So, so I can't really justify playing a lot of golf, play, paying fifty bucks around. Totally. So that's one. That's one reason I keep off the course. I don't want to pay to. Spray, pay to spray. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for taking the time, man. This has been uh, a a genuine treat for all of us who who love the movie and have always wanted a little bit more insight. So, thank you very much for uh, spending cool. some time with us. My pleasure. I'm glad it worked out. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Yeah. Favorite trapper, the absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Who 